Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college and originator and host of Tops 10. Today, I have with me Mr. Dave Walker. Dave Walker is the founder of owner of Walker Broadcasting Communications from 1999 to the present. Among the stations are KJDL AM and FM, mm-hmm. video production, news marketing, public relations, news monitoring, television production, and you've run operations all over the West, I'd say, or West Texas, Pretty including much, Albuquerque uh, and Denver. I've, uh, gosh, I've been all over the world with this. I've, uh, mostly of my career has been as a television reporter, anchor, and uh, been a producer and, uh, and a news director. And uh, have covered uh, many stories for the past 30 plus, well, years or more. So, right. Mm-hmm. You were chair of the Texas Association of uh, Press Broadcasters. Mm-hmm. Right. You also served your country in uh, uh, 1972. It Actually, it says here 1972 to 1957. It does in 1975. So you were involved so, uh, in those time I was a little uh, dyslexic on that, that one. <laughs> so, yeah, 1972, 75. 75. Right. I, and you I, served in the 1st Armored Division. 1st AD. In, Did you uh, get the ride in the tank? Uh, when, you know, actually, I never did. Uh, interestingly enough, a lot of helicopters, but yeah. never on a tank. So uh, that did would have been fly, kind of fun. Did you fly in a helicopter? Or many, many times, and uh, many hundreds and hundreds of hours in helicopters in, in, uh, in between military and uh, the news media. Yes, well, so that was it. Was uh, you were you were working in in the press office? I worked uh, actually. I started off uh, in uh, in a, a signal battalion uh, with radio teletype and that sort of thing. Just a regular yeah. field soldier, and uh, we were fortunate not to have to go to Vietnam. I, I got to go to Germany instead. And in uh, that evolved because of a, an opening at the American Forces Radio Television Service, and I moved into there. And so I, I did a show that I got to name, and it was based on a show that started here in Lubbock many years ago called TTO or This, That, and the Other. And I did uh, issues and, uh, and music and different things like that uh, from the First Armored Division on AFN Nuremberg. So did you say Good Morning Ansbach? No, never did. Uh, Ansbach, no. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Nuremberg. Uh, I, my mind was an afternoon show so yeah no Good never got to do that you have uh, four children mm-hmm. and one of them uh, is also a, you're a graduate of what, yes. what, what was then a, <laughs> a school but it was a department you got your ba in telecommunications but uh, one of your sons is a graduate of our college yes he is and mm-hmm. your other children jess uh, jess was a graduate here at texas tech yeah. and also a master's degree as well yeah. all four of my children attended texas tech uh, and uh, three of them graduated from here and the other graduated from you uh, the uh, University of Texas. Right, are you, you know, ashamed of that? No, 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 no his no. mother also did that. Oh, so I we, see. We okay. have these, it's a mixed uh, marriage. You yeah, gotta, we do. You gotta exactly. T- you got to have compromise somewhere. That's right. That's, 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 that's what that's it right. was. Very, so. very good. Dave, one of the questions I usually ask people is, did you grow up in a musical household? How did you first sense music around you well funny enough uh i grew up in the age where america was transitioning from radio to television and i remember very clearly having only a radio in our household and then uh, later on television came around so uh and that was in the in the mid 50s to the to the late 50s and so i remember remember and and students our students listeners uh, Mm -hmm. can look this up right television Mm -hmm. was a massive piece of furniture oh huge right people people actually watched it in 
in the living room, yes. families mm-hmm. got together. Now, of course, they'd done that for radio. People would sit around the radio because until, I think, the transistor radio was at 55 or something. I mean, it wasn't, you couldn't carry a radio around too easily. Uh, got until. to be big in the, uh, or a big Christmas item in the in the early 60s, late 50s, yeah. early 60s, the yeah. transistor, the small transistor yeah. uh, coming out of Japan. Do you remember television entering the home? I do. I do. Now, of course, a lot of those early TV shows were former radio shows. Correct. Did, did you like? Did you sing along with Mitch? Or? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, and Jack Benny, and uh, you start naming all the other ones. Uh, I Mary Joan, uh, Armis Brooks. I could start naming all of them off. I do remember them very well. Uh, the big thing, though, for kids was the Mickey Mouse Club and different things like that. When Disney was still very small, and uh, everyone wanted to go to California to, to to be there. But you didn't put the Mickey Mouse theme as one of your signature songs. Not one of my signature songs. No, no. You didn't have a formative not. influence so, on your. Not really. Yeah, not not really. And that Funicello was hot, but uh, you know, no, I was that was too young. When you were wa- listening to a radio show, mm-hmm. because you, you're in the production business now, mm-hmm. and, also, and, right. and people li- people listen, and the slightest mistake, you know, a, pa- a pause of two seconds, uh-huh. people notice something like that. So you have to get things technically right. Were you when you were wa- hearing radio as, as a young as a child, and or watching television, did, did, were you aware of the the massive work that went behind what no. was appearing? No, not at all. It was all very magical, uh, whether it was radio, going into television. Uh, it was uh, imaginative, and it was very authoritative, and whatever was on there, you believed. So uh, they, they did a very good job with production in, in those days because you know, they worked with sound. They understood the value of that, uh, more so maybe than, than is done today. Do you remember what your, your first music show that you listened to was? Uh, it would have been uh, just on the radio, and uh, as, as a as a music show itself uh, probably just would have been a top 40 kind of a thing I remember very clearly Buddy Holly music uh, Elvis Presley obviously Carl Perkins uh, some early rock and rollers and that sort of thing because I had an older brother who was a, was a, a teenager and when I was you know five or six years old and, and uh, boy he loved to slick my hair back and take me out for a ride in his 57 Chevy and it, it was it was a great time sounds like a great uh, yeah. Buddy Holly song now yeah. two of the songs you've listed I'm going to skip order sure. here Buddy Holly mm-hmm. you have Buddy Holly not fade away Right. Buddy Holly, Words of Love. Now, you grew up in uh-huh. West Texas. I grew up uh, originally in Denver, Colorado. Moved here then when I was 12 okay, to so, Lubbock. So the so. music formative years were there. We're now, in Denver, right? Yeah. yeah, in Denver. But then Lubbock. Now, uh-huh. at that time, I mean, when you moved to Lubbock, people mentioned Buddy Holly even sure. today. Sure. But at that time, was Buddy Holly just the music icon of no. the city? He, honestly, he was not. I mean, people I knew all my life uh, here in West Texas, I've known people who knew Buddy personally. Like, I know Peggy Sue is a friend of mine. Uh, some of the, the, the guys that were in the band uh, I used to know and on a first-name basis, like, you know, J.I. and, uh, you know, other guys like that. But uh, uh, no one thought anything about Buddy Holly after his death. Most people, realistically, didn't know who Buddy was until he showed up on Ed Sullivan. Yeah, he, he was a he was a kid in a band who played at roller rinks and got on KDAV radio. Well, you know what? There were a bunch of kids just like him. It's just that Buddy was a real writer, a, a, a singer-songwriter, and uh, and uh, who, who found the right way and the right genre that came along at the time. Uh, he wasn't country and western, didn't realize that, and then uh, became rock 
rock and roll as it uh, as rock and roll grew up. Suddenly he was on Ed Sullivan, and then everybody knew who he was. After his death, the truth was Lubbock pretty much forgot him until the Gary Busey movie came out, and then suddenly we were all about Buddy again. I think there was a, a bit of a guilt sort of a thing in Lubbock, like, well, we should be doing something to recognize Buddy Holly. I don't think that Lubbock knew how big Buddy Holly was around the world. Buddy Holly was the kid next door. He was the kid that played at the the roller rink, and uh, and uh, it was just it was just Buddy, you know. Uh, and it's so funny uh, because uh, a number of times when I talked to some of the crickets. Um, they kind of laugh about that because uh, um, Paul McCartney likes to take them over for a, an event called Holly Days, and that's in Liverpool. And it's a celebration of rock and roll, and it's all about the 50s music. Well, when they go over there, they're a rock star. Paul McCartney's the guy that grew up next door. You know, Paul McCartney, you know, my, my word, he's a, he's a rock and roll god here that we can't wait till he gets here and we sell out in, in minutes. Well, that's kind of the way the, the crickets were over there. And Paul was kind of like the guy next door. So uh, it, I guess you can't be a... Uh, you know, you can't be considered successful or a profit in your own land. So, well, that's interesting because a lot of times uh, uh, there are some some artists. You know, they 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 die uh-huh. and they're they've been famous and they just stay famous, uh, bigger, uh, for, right? Forever, Elvis, I guess. You know, sure. Elvis never dropped in popularity, I, I, I guess. But uh, some, you're saying Buddy Holly had to be rediscovered yes uh, maybe lo- locally I, I I don't know what absolutely or, or not but he certainly left a catalog of very uh, important songs oh huge and, so let's let's listen to Not Fade Away by Buddy Holly I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna be are you gonna give your love to me
song is talking about, you know, the, the hope of, of every artist is that, you know, maybe something that you've right. done lives past the, the top 50 of that week, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. it's, a, it's one of the, I think it's one of the most important rock songs of its time because it was a rocking, raucous song beyond what most people did yeah. in 1957, 1958, which is why it's been done by almost every artist uh, of the genre since then. You know, Joe Ely does a great job of it. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody has done a, a great job with that song, but it, I mean, it really, it really moves. And it's it's a love song. It's kind of funny. It's it's uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be, and and uh, um, and, and it's but it, but it just uh, puts an energy into it that it wasn't there before. His other song, "Words of Love." Now, uh-huh. I have listened. To, I admit that I was not growing up in the '70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was aware of a few hits of Buddy Holly, but right. I wasn't aware of his contributions as a producer and a writer and sort of a th- some pretty thoughtful person about music and, and the future of music. Mm-hmm. And then I heard "American Pie." Right by Don McLean. Sure. And as every like sixteen-year-old or something, I was trying to inter- interpret the deep, deep lyrics. And somebody said, "Oh, it's about Buddy Holly dying." And, right. And American music, you know, would have gone in a different direction or developed differently, and maybe we wouldn't have had a British invasion. I mean, do you do you subscribe to any theories that that Buddy Holly's death was significant for the future of music? No, I don't. Uh, I, I really don't. I think uh, Buddy would have uh, continued on in the genre that he did. He is intentions were to come back and build a studio here uh, which all of that's fine and it, it could have worked but had it changed things probably not uh, but again uh, buddy had a, had a unique gift and I don't think he would have been held into just this one rock and roll uh, sort of a genre I, th- I think he pro- might have uh, done some things that were country and some other things like that that were in his roots interestingly enough with uh, words of love one reason why I put it on there uh, the first time I heard it, it wasn't by him the, the Beatles actually did it in 1964 and put it on one of their one of their first albums Albums. And it's just a great song. And, and I remember reading about this. Uh, uh, Buddy was saying his mom first was kind of humming this tune, and he kind of developed it. So it came really from his mother. His mother was the musical one of the family. And, and neither of his brothers or anyone else were really particularly musical. But they, they well, the, uh, Larry uh, played the guitar, but not like Buddy. And uh, he helped him along and taught him the first few chords that he knew. And he just took off and did it from there. And he, he developed this, this song, a very unique song, uh, with a kind of a lead style. Uh, into chords and that sort of thing that other people really hadn't done to this point and uh, and developed this song and, and it was it was it wasn't a big hit of his and it wasn't a big hit of the Beatles but it's one of the more unique songs that uh, that buddy did and and I always liked it it was one of the first songs that I learned to play and I had to figure it out all by myself and I was so proud of myself when I figured it out and uh, did it somewhat like like uh, like they did it so um, uh, that's why I put it on my list because I thought man this was really well done and they're only the only uh, uh, people I've ever heard do this were, were Buddy and the Beatles. So, so I, I put them both on there. Hold me close and tell me how you feel. Tell me love is real. Mm-hmm. Words of love you whisper soft and true. Darling, I love you.
hear you say the words I want to hear. Darling, when you're near. of love you whisper soft and true darling I love you when you were going to tech uh-huh. did you get involved in Campus music, campus radio? I was, uh, when I came back from uh, Texas Tech, or when I came back from the the military, I had already worked professionally for American Forces Radio Television Service. So when I got back, I was immediately hired by... Oh, so you went in the military first. I went in the military first, right. I I had a scholarship for uh, for journalism, and I had to give that up. I had a a fairly low draft number, and I thought, you know, I just want to do this. So I I enlisted, and uh, just enough time to to do it and get out, which actually turned into three years, and I came home uh, to come. So you were in the signals corps. Now you certainly learned the technology. Well, yeah, there, from that there. day, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I did. Yeah. Uh, it, it was kind of a plug and play back then. It was a very different kind of radio than we know here. It was it was it was uh, field communications in in combat roles and different things like that. But but so were uh, you the guy carrying the big backpack? No, the, the, uh, we actually, mine was actually on the back of a of a truck, a three quarter ton right. truck called a rat rig, you know, a radio rig, right. and, uh, and you plug things in and it, it plugged into a teletype and it set up communications that, you know, all over the place. So all I knew how to do was plug the thing in, turn it on, and then send the signals out that I was supposed to do. So, uh, and I didn't really get to do that much because uh, because going into American Forces uh, Radio, so AFN, and that's how I got back here. And when I came back home, I was immediately offered jobs at a couple of different radio stations. Ended up at the old KSEL. Everyone wanted to work at KSEL back then, and uh, and then I only really I didn't want to be a DJ. I wanted to be in news, and that was really important to me because growing up in those days. Uh, um, I used to watch the news with my father, and uh, so I, it was important to him. And, and I thought, okay, this must be important, and I and I like doing it. So I, uh, I moved into radio news, and then from radio news into television news, and then. But I always had this love for radio, you know, because radio is a much more intimate. Uh, um, I guess instrument in in our arsenal of, of communications these days, much more so than television, which I consider limiting. But I did television for thirty years, you know, all over the world, doing different things, and uh, ended up with NBC News as a, as a field producer for them out of Houston. And before I came back to be a news director in, in Lubbock, I love to listen to old and some new uh, radio drama. Oh, and, I do too. And yeah. it always just strikes me that how inventive they were in teasing your imagination oh, with the merest suggestions you know they'd say and and so a million martians walked across the martian plane you know and you right. hear a scuttling of crick, like crickets or something like that and you're 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 visualizing what that could be right now we live in an age where anything a filmmaker imagines mm-hmm. literally appears on the screen and you could argue that that's to the detriment of the imagination of movies because anything stupid that they come up with right <laughs> or, i would agree or with overkill you. Yeah. or just like okay why exactly we didn't a thousand robots all you know <laughs> crashing into each other because somebody thought of it is that yeah. did that actually help the plot of the film yeah uh so you know i i miss, I miss uh, the elements of radio and, and wish that they could be rediscovered in imagination somehow it uh, never quite goes away there there are uh, online of course there are uh, radio theaters around the country and around the world bbc does an excellent job still of that sort of thing but i agree with you that uh, the the best imagination is created by sound and letting you create the 
pictures. Uh, the, the best show I think uh, uh, ever that I have in my collection, I have an extensive collection of radio programming, I think is Suspense. Uh, and it is uh, it is one of those shows where if, once you start listening to it, you can't let go. Uh, I got to meet here at Texas Tech when I was here a guy named Hyman Brown who was uh, from New York who created the original Squeaking Door series. Later on, he, he recreated it with a CBS uh, uh, radio theater. Got to meet him and talk with him for a while one time, and that was a lot of fun. And, and he was a master at creating visual scenes with radio. So and that's what made it work in the 70s when it came back for a brief time. Now, you've listed as, as one of your song selections anything by the Beatles. Anything by the Beatles, right. Are, are you willing to listen to anything by the I'm Beatles? I'm willing to listen to any. And, I, and there's nothing of, there's there are Beatles songs. There's some that are better than others, but all of them are great. I, because of the creativity, the, uh, the I don't know, I mean, that could be for a number of reasons, the way they were produced and the way they were written and everything. But yeah, anything by the Beatles. Love it. Would you say that in terms of just sheer talent packed into one group, that's pretty much up there? Uh, it, you know, it's hard to get to second place. I mean, there uh, were some super, you know, I, I guess people uh, nowadays, our younger listeners mm-hmm. probably don't remember the super group era where you'd right. have individual stars who just, you know, I guess Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young was Huge. a good example of that. Yes, people right. who had made it individually said, let's get together, and usually did a couple albums before they started arguing and, right. and then, stealing then, each other's girlfriends and falling apart. Exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. But the Beatles all come up from one little town, yeah. one little hometown. And the crickets kind of are along those lines. Honestly, um, you know, the Beatles come from Liverpool, and a lot of people disparage uh, Ringo Starr, Richard Starkey, who's the drummer of the Beatles. Saying, like, he's the least talented. Actually, he's a very talented drummer. He's, he's not given enough uh, credit. Uh, the same for J.I. Uh, in uh, in uh, the crickets. The, the drummer, you know, uh, Jerry Allison, incredible drummer, and, and, and is someone who was emulated by other people. Uh, so it's difficult to find that much talent in a one small town and it doesn't happen very often and they all get together and they and they really coordinate to make the music that they do with well, the Beatles uh, obviously the same way just it's just that the Beatles had had three incredible writers and singers and and the crickets only had buddy he was he was the writer although some of them went on to write some other things as well but but uh, I don't think there's any you know you know you can, you can argue like you said Crosby Stills Nash and Young from that era you know a little bit later in the late 60s early 70s incredible writers uh, they're, they're others Fleetwood Mac also very good other people like that
song about being a band uh, there. A lot of Beatles songs, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are accused, especially the McCartney ones are accused of being sentimental. Of course, I think that oh, was yeah. the good mix, you yeah. know, was that Lennon was a little bit more um, oh. pointed and intellectual, and, yeah. and McCartney was a little bit more emotional and homey, yeah. you know, and that, True. That, that was a good mix there. Writing uh, silly love yeah. songs as yeah. he yeah. did yeah. for Wings, right, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Your next song is by Neil Young, and mm-hmm. it's Harvest, a very, very famous song. Yes. I, I think I picked that because uh, this was the, I in, at least I would consider this the first to, for rock and roll to kind of get back into a folksy country sort of a, a way. And he used a lot of different instruments in there that uh, normally you wouldn't hear in a rock and roll band, especially not in Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young in that day. But but uh, he, he brought it back down to the singer-songwriter who was out there with just a, a, an acoustic guitar and you hear, hear a banjo and a dobro and you might hear a mandolin and some of the different things. And then he put a rock, you know... Uh, a twist to a lot of that stuff and I, I think it was just a, a genius album did I see you down in young girl's time with your mother in so much pain I was almost there at the top of the stairs with her screaming in the rain did she wake you to tell you that it was only a change of plan dream up dream up let me fill your cup with the promise of a man did I see you walking with the boys Though it was not hand in hand And was some black face in a lonely place When you could understand Did she wake you up to tell you that It was only a change of plan Dream up, dream up, let me fill your cup with the promise of a man. talking about how that was so, so successful mm-hmm. now he came out of these sort of folk roots and right. it was the same issue i guess with bob dylan you know mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. had a certain audience for the folk 
you know, the, the more like the cognoscenti, the sort of people who exactly. think that, you know, hey, I'm superior because I've got this kind of, I love this kind of music. Yeah. And then somebody achieves massive stardom. Mm -hmm. And often there's a sort of blowback from your original core fan base of like you've, you, you've sold out. You, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it is, the, the, a lot of artists go through that tension. Now, as I understand, Neil Young actually felt that tension himself and like right. pulled back and said, well, what, geez, you, this is what stardom is. I'm not sure I want something like that. Well, I think you're right. Uh, and and that's, I think he felt that, especially when he left, uh, uh, he was in, oh gosh, all the different birds. Was he Yardbirds or Bird? I can't remember. Anyway, whichever one it was. And then Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Then he was on his own with, uh, with Crazy horse and uh, then he just got into his own solo gig again but uh, but you're right and bob dylan who easily could have and probably should have been on this list for me uh one of the greatest writers of all time if you if you like his poetry and uh, the way he uh, uses phrases and words and different things like that i i, I think truly he felt that because yeah, everyone who knows that era of music when he when he uh, went to the monterey uh, pops uh, and uh, pulled out an electric guitar. They just were going to stone him. You know, they were just going to you know throw tomatoes at him or whatever. And uh, and he played some of the greatest music he's ever written in his life. But even going back further than that, the very first uh, made-for-TV artist was Ricky Nelson. There was a show on called the, the Ozzy and Harriet, and Ricky Nelson was this real good-looking young kid. He could play and sing a little bit, and suddenly he became a star on his own just from playing on the TV show. And uh, I don't think they knew what they had there or the power of that promotion with it. And then and later on, of course, the monkeys came along, right. only one of which could actually play his instrument, you know, and Mike Nesmith. And, uh, uh, and uh, none That's of them pretty could good write. songs that have lasted had, pretty well. They had some great writers. That's almost all written by Neil, Neil uh, Diamond, by the yeah. way. So, uh, yeah. yeah, all their big hits were almost all of them, not all of them. But, uh, yeah, they, and they played them on TV. Well, they had this massive teenage audience watching and buying their records. So uh, when they went on tour, they were awful. I mean, they just, <laughs> they were that bad. So, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting what, what the promotion can do, but it's... It it's not, it doesn't have a shelf life. Going back to a group mm -hmm. we've talked about that uh, has a great shelf life, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, oh, a super yeah. group in the sense of each of them absolutely incredibly talented yes getting together and producing some great music. You listed Helplessly Hoping. Yes. I chose that song for two reasons. Number one, it's extremely well written, uh, and, and the phraseology and everything in it. And I read a little bit about Stephen Stills and, and others. I, uh, I got to meet them and interview them one time in Houston while I was down there, and uh, was on the radio with them. Although I was a television reporter with with the uh, KLOL uh, Rock 101, a huge, massive station down there, and that's the song I wanted them to play. They never did play it for me while I was there, but they did it that night right after David Crosby had been uh, he'd been in prison and then out, and they were getting back together to. Start start you know uh, playing again but uh, this was written by uh, Stephen Stills uh, originally and then uh, they produced it into it so I like his, his original raw version but any version of it is absolutely fantastic so and he, and he talks about the lyrics and, and what they meant and it's, it is basically uh, just kind of a, a love song again of, uh, of trying to, to uh, hold on to what would become a lost love Wishing he could fly by Only to trip at the sound of goodbye Wordlessly watching he waits By the window and wonders At 
the empty place inside Heartlessly helping himself To her bad dreams He worries Did he hear a goodbye? I, or even Hello A lot of these groups have written, I mean, love songs, I guess, maybe are what, 95%, 96%? Yeah, it's what, this what sells. <laughs> right, yeah. Love lost or love found or love love, I don't know. There's a wonderful uh, picture out there floating on the internet. It's from some concert of some group, and a young woman, a, um, not fully clad, let's put it that way, is on somebody's shoulders holding a big sign with a message for a member of the group saying, you know, please pick me out. I want to party with you. I love you to, to whoever's the, the rock group. Oh boy. But what's really great about that picture is she's on some guy's shoulders and the uh. guy looks so sad and deflated. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, here uh-huh. he is, you know, he, she probably said, take me to the, I'll go out with you if you take me to this concert. And uh-huh. like, Can I get in your shoulders? And she pulls up the sign and he's going like, all the world knows me as this, the schlub. Uh-huh. You know, he's the pedestal, the, the, <laughs> and she's right. on top of it. <laughs> well, that didn't that day didn't work out, did it? Right. Does the appeal of popular music, of course, is not just individual listening, but shared listening. Now, where did you first meet your wife? Did you share any musical tastes then? Um, uh, yeah, we did. We didn't. We I met her actually in a hospital where a friend of mine was in the hospital, and she right. was she's a nurse and was helping to uh, take care of him. And uh, and and uh, did we? Share That's the not same? the usual narrative. It's usually the patient that falls in love with the pretty yeah. Nurse. No. No. I went up to see my friend many times while he was in the hospital there at that point. And we started dating and then, then got married. Uh, I mean, it wasn't really for the friend. It was you wanted to talk to the nurse. Right? I think so. he was doing okay. okay. I don't really yeah. remember. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> she had really gorgeous blue eyes and uh, and a great smile. And and, uh, and she even kind of paid attention to me, sort of. So it's like, wow, this was different. So, uh, yeah, it kind of developed from there. But, yes, uh, I think musical tastes are, are important. And they're important in different times in your life. When you're younger especially, they're very, very important to you growing up and, and it because it means something to you for what you're going through at the time so yeah we had some shared uh, musical taste with that and got to go to a number of concerts together which was it's very important when you're you're young like that and uh, and as you go on and I gotta say she is Lynn my wife is much better about keeping up with current music than I am she knows you know one of our radio stations plays current pop hits she knows them all and I'm like what was that again you know where I am uh, the typical male where where the, the music I like to listen to comes out of the 70s and 60s, yeah. 70s, maybe a little bit in the 80s. But after that, it's like, who are these groups? I don't know. But I don't, I, I like that era of music and I tend to stay there more than I probably should where she would has grown into well I like this other stuff too you know, like like a Katy Perry or something like that I you know I know who Katy Perry is I don't know that I could tell you more than one of her songs uh, it's just not my thing so but but it's these kids that are listening today it's their thing so it's important and I was thinking your, your next group is Fleetwood Mac which oh, yeah. was to me a premier concert group incredible I mean, just they really like Kiss you know yes. they, they put a lot of money <laughs> Yes. And time into their concert. The song is is Tusk. Mm-hmm. Lindsey Buckingham is, I think, now, boy, I'm going to get clobbered for this. 
is probably one of the greatest guitarists of the era. You know, and you, you have to think back of people like Jimi Hendrix, of course, who I'd put number one, who probably should be on this list as well, by the way, but he's not there. Uh, Peter Townsend, other people like that. But I, if Lindsay, and I'm a little bit of a guitar player. I have a small amount of talent, and that's it. But Lindsay Buckingham does some things with the guitar that I can't imagine that one person could do at the same time. You know, he, they're just incredible things that he does. And of course, uh, the other person like that would have would have been Jimi Hendrix, obviously. But uh, I remember going to the the concert that they had here uh, with Fleetwood Mac and with my binoculars studying what he was doing when he was playing the guitar. It's like how can how can you do that? How can he make that happen? So, I'm so just all the other guys had binoculars to keep an eye on some other <laughs> assets of, of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, maybe but you so. were, you were looking at the guitar chords. I was looking I was looking at how he was doing this because because when I listened to that I would have sworn to anybody that no not one you know not one guy can do what he does. Hendrix you saw him in the films and stuff like that and you'd realize okay he's not from this planet he's from you know someplace else where where geniuses are are, are put together. Lindsey Buckingham was just incredible and and I still feel that way. Yeah, it's one of the best ever. You were mentioning about your preferences. There is this very interesting research out there we've talked about before in the show called uh, basically looking at generational preferences, which says mm-hmm. that the way our brains work are tastes, mm-hmm. whether it's food, music, 
love are sort of fixed by our late 20s and we just keep them forever and so yeah. you know yep in my car i've got the bruce springsteen's serious station oh, yeah. on there Great. and i listen to bruce springsteen uh-huh. and uh, maybe uh, my father's generation would still be and and of course the joke is in the nursing homes you know they're, they're having to change the playlist now from big bands to baby boomer music so people like to listen to what they've always uh listened to and i, I guess i'm more like you i have not i've gosh i don't think i've gotten a new I bought, I've gotten a couple of new songs I like, but I don't think I've bought a new album in decades of new, new, new stuff. I mean, re, reissue of old stuff, yeah. For me, uh, the ones that I've bought new are, are some things I like in the Texas country music, music genre, which is uh, our big station. Uh, we have the Red Dirt Rebel 105.3. Yes, it's, uh, it's all Texas which country Which is one music. of my favorite stations, by the way. It's a very good station. And, and it's, if it's good, it's because of the artists we have on there. They are Texas country artists. They don't do Nashville for the, for the most part. Uh, you know, Josh Abbott, uh, Pat Green, with the Nashville came back other people like that these are singer songwriters part of the, part of the deal on this is that you don't get on here unless you you perform you write and perform your own music that doesn't mean there's not some cover there that's very interesting I did not know mm-hmm. that you, yeah. you you want and, and you know you use the word authentic is right. that what struck me when I was listening to the Texas songs mm-hmm. or Texas themed or related songs there was that first there were a lot of them were very well written very yes. well thought out I mean the people paid attention to the lyrics Right. And second, you got a feeling that this was not somebody flown in from Poughkeepsie right. saying, hey, show up at a country and western bar and write about your truck. You know, right. You know, <laughs> that, that this is, that these are people who lived lives yeah. that they're writing about. They are living lives yeah. that they're writing about. And uh, and it's they don't fit in Nashville. They don't fit in uh, in Hollywood. You know, they fit in Texas. So it, this genre really comes out of uh, out of Austin, out of Lubbock, out of, uh, you know, Fort Worth, places like that. Not necessarily Dallas, but Fort Luckin Worth. Luckenbeck. Yeah, Luckenbeck. Well, Luckin yeah, <laughs> maybe not so much Luckenbeck. But, uh, but yeah, you know what? If you were going to look at the fathers of this movement, you have to look at Jerry Jeff Walker. And you look at uh, Michael Murphy, Michael Michael Martin Murphy and uh, Willie Nelson before it became really big. Uh, Waylon Jennings, who was an outlaw, so it was kind of this this outlaw group of people that didn't fit Nashville necessarily, but they had great music. But who's going to play it? A number of uh, Texas stations, including us and the ranch, and and out of uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, and a bunch of others, started playing this, and it, it formed basically a, a a playlist and and a chart and everything else. And these guys are, I tell you, how they earn their money is they work for it. They uh, they play these clubs. Uh, several nights a week and and they travel constantly and the interesting thing is because of uh, because of apps now on phones and uh, of course it's all on the internet our, our stations are too wherever they go people know them like for instance there's a big club in uh, in Denver Colorado that we followed Josh to one time Josh Abbott's a good friend of the station we've had him in many times and very close to him so he was up in Denver and my son and I were up there and we went to one of his uh, concerts there where 2,000 people came and uh, in this club kind of like a Billy Bob's it's called uh, the, the Grizzly Road and uh, and and they knew every word to every song, and uh, they loved his music and loved him. And the Texas country artists who play in Steamboat Springs every winter, one of the biggest uh, festivals up there. It just, I mean, thousands of people from all over the country come to celebrate it and, and be with it. So, so yeah, it's very very important that uh, they're part of that. So, yeah, that's what I like. And it shows that the the technology can enable some outliers. Mm-hmm. You know that don't have the massive. Oh, that's uh, true. You know, One Direction <laughs> publicity machine working. One of your songs is "Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way" by yep. Will and Jens, referring to Hank. 
Right, which uh, Hank Williams yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and 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 because Hank was was rejected by Nashville, he was too much of an outlaw, and uh, uh, they're saying, "Oh, you're just like Hank. We love you, Hank." And Hank was already gone by this point, and 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 so Waylon's what is he wrote this song? Waylon, by way, who's from here, from Littlefield, and and uh, was on KLLL many years ago as a DJ. Uh, he, he wrote this song to say, "Are you sure? You know, are you sure Hank done it this way?" But of course, that was touring, and that was writing his own music, and being his own man, and not being controlled by RCA Records or by any of the other labels out of Nashville. Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and a new shiny car. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. Somebody told me when I came to Nashville Son, you finally got it made Old Hank made it here We're all sure that you will But I don't think Hank done it this way I don't think Hank done it this way I wouldn't classify your next artist, Linda Rodstad, as an outlaw. <laughs> In some but, ways, but, maybe. But, but she, she also had this air of authenticity. You know, I mean, when she sang, she had a very true, sweet voice, you uh-huh. know, that you felt that, uh, well, I, I actually don't know whether her songs were written for her or she wrote any any of her own songs, but you felt that she was speaking from the heart. She uh, was not a singer-songwriter. She was just a singer. And if there was any artist I ever could have fallen in love with, it was, it was Linda Ronstadt. As she did covers, uh, that was primarily what she did, and just a performer that way. And uh, she, she was incredible. She was probably one of the only people that I have ever listened to who could take someone else's song and make it better, including Buddy's. You know, that, that's that's giving up a lot mm. saying that. She did a bunch of Buddy Holly songs, which is why she came here and uh, and she performed here. And to try to start a, an annual uh, Buddy Holly uh, festival here, but to, ran into oppositions from the city all the way around. And later on, they felt like, oh, we, well, we, we screwed this up. Yeah, yeah they did. The, the city officials back in those days when she was coming to Lubbock really did uh, kind of get in the way of them having this, uh, this festival that could have been celebrating Buddy Holly from, from that time. But she could sing. Oh, my gosh. Um, most people don't know her history. She started uh, in the late 60s with a, a group called the Stone Ponies and uh, did a song called You and I that was a top 10 hit. And then she just kind of, she faded away. And you didn't hear from her again until 1974 when this massive hit came out uh, called You're No Good. And from that point on, she was just exploded. Everything she did. I and mean, she was putting out a couple of albums a year there and she was she was touring. And she was one of those artists who rock and roll couldn't hold her down. She, she wouldn't back into, she's half German, half Spanish. So she could do both languages, you know, and, and also in English as well, obviously. But she did it, she did Hispanic albums, she did opera, and she she did the Pirates of Penzance, and she was incredible. 
Now we're taking a little bit of a new direction here. Smokey Robinson, Tracks oh. of My Tears. Here's why. Uh, Did Motown, this win love for you? Yeah, well, song, just love with the song, uh, because I think, like a lot of kids, it, it was interesting in the early days of rock and roll, what a lot of artists did was uh, they were white artists, and they picked up uh, black music, and they, they Elvis did being the Elvis being best. chief among them. Yeah, yeah like Hound Dog. Uh, you know, that uh, that was, uh, oh, I can't remember the artist who originally did that. It was a, it was a, a, a woman who sang this, and Elvis made it respectable because he was white. But the, but the radio stations wouldn't play black stuff. Smokey Robbins was a very early on uh, black artist who, who got into the radio. But, but before that, when it was tough for him to get into, other artists like Johnny Rivers took Tracks of My Tears and made a big hit. Linda Ronsett made it even a bigger hit. The original was Smokey. And uh, Smokey was just incredible. And uh, I think the influence of Motown um, became stronger and stronger as the 60s went on into the 70s. And it kind of died off as, the, as those uh, artists uh, kind of faded out. But uh, gosh, The Four Tops, The Temptations, Diana Ross and The Supremes. You start naming them. They were so important to the uh, culture of the time. For the most part, these were people, uh, an artist who were just singing songs, love songs, different things like that. They weren't caught up in the social aspect of things as much as uh, some of the other artists, like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. It was all about the about the, the cultural aspect of, of what they're going to do, like Four Dead in Ohio or whatever. Smokey's over here. He's singing about Tracks of My Tears and, and other things like that. And and, uh, uh, and, I, and I picked that one particularly. I mean, there were so many others you could have picked. I mean, obviously, because I, I love The Temptations and everything they did, David Ruffin and the people that were involved in that. But uh, Smokey was probably the single artist with, maybe with the exception of Diana Ross with the Supremes who had the longest career out of Motown and uh, uh, and, and had the, the greatest number of hits. And, and this is one of the songs of his that just, you know, as, as a young teenager where you're always forlorn anyway, this was one of those uh, great songs. People say I'm the life of the party cause I tell a joke of Final song. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it makes sense to, to there because you know you're you're certainly an entrepreneur and you've made a lot of decisions in your life. But everybody needs good people working with you and, yeah. f- and for you. A little help from my friends by Joe Cocker. What are the friends that uh, you that oh, help you, my Dave? Gosh, so many people that I. Uh, uh, oh, a debt of gratitude too. You know, beginning here at Texas Tech. Uh, 
uh, some of my uh, professors, uh, uh, you know, Dennis Harp, uh, being chief among them, uh, you know, who encouraged me and, and uh, helped me along when I, when I was there. Uh, oh, Clive Kinghorn, certainly uh, uh, another person there. Uh, and other people outside of the, uh, the, the business who, who uh, outside of the college campus anyway, who, who uh, also. I think uh, one of the guys that makes me pucker up is a guy named Paul Bean, and he's uh, kind of infamous around here. He was, he was a city councilman, but he was a hardcore newsman, the first one I ran into like that in, in, uh, in radio. And, uh, and, and you needed to be right, and you needed to be on time, but mostly you needed to be right, and your writing had better be crisp and good. And, uh, I mean, you talk about a strict disciplinarian, a purist uh, in that sense, in that day when, when radio news was very, very important to everybody. And I just got that sense of that uh, from, from him to begin with as I, as I moved into news and then became, you know, the, the newsman that I was. Uh, so I, I think about people like him and others uh, along the way, some very uh, influential people, um, uh, Colonel Jack Harris, uh, who was uh, the, the head of uh, KPRC Houston back in those days, who was actually uh, MacArthur's press secretary and, uh, and others like that. So I, I, I think about them and, and, and the, the instilling a discipline and a respect for, the, the, for what you were doing and to do it right, no matter what, to try to do it right every time that you do it. And, and I appreciate it. I've seen it done wrong, as we all have, and I've seen it done right. And I want to do, and I'm more the uh, disciplinarian now with my staff when I was a news director, very much so. And now I want it done right. We do live programs, a lot of live programs, which most radio stations don't do, and uh, and, and and they are long form. These are not just you know DJs. These are these are out in the field someplace with with uh, with the technology to do them. And uh, one thing we insist on is making the, the small details in what we do. We do it right. We try to. And and I and I and I credit those people with with being my friends to help me uh, grow. I hope what you're saying is an eternal lesson. You know, we, we like to think in our college that we certainly teach our students about the latest and the greatest, but we also believe in the tried and the true. And the tried and the true includes getting it right. Yes, <laughs> and with whatever you're doing. With right. whatever you're doing. You know, we, we say to our students, that, look, there's a billion people out there who are creating content for Facebook. They're giving it away for free. Right. So if you'd like somebody to actually pay you for your content, whatever it is, you know, whatever content you're producing, advertising, public relations, journalism, music, you know, television, whatever, whatever it is, it's got to be better. <laughs> it's got to be yeah. higher quality. Uh, the, you know, nobody's going to pay you for what everybody else is, is doing. And so right. the quality imperative is even greater than, than always. The technology has enabled us to... Given us more ways to screw up, more ways to make mistakes, that means we have to be even more tough disciplinarians on ourselves. Because obviously, you know, we try within the classroom, and, and certainly sure. you try within the industry. But at the end of the day, everybody's got to be their own self-disciplinarian about getting it right. You're right. You know, can I, if I could say one thing real yeah. quick with this. Uh, I was at uh, uh, Channel 2 in Houston KPRC in the early 80s when I'd, I'd finally arrived at this wonderful mecca of journalism in, in the you know, ninth largest market in the nation, and I had a selectric typewriter, and I was just thrilled with it. Six months into being there, we got this new thing called the computer, 
and uh, and we were scared to death of it. And, and all of us, you know, all of us reporters, we kept our selectrics nearby because we were absolutely positive this was going to fail, which of course it didn't. And a colleague of mine named Larry Otis, who was a general manager at Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, now, uh, as he was, he was at his computer desk, and I was at mine, and we were you know writing out these stories. And he, he looked at this for a minute, and he, and he had this thoughtful look on his face, and I said, okay, what, what, Larry, what's up? He says, you know, this thing is making us better writers. And I said, really? How? And he said, because we can change things around. We can, we can eliminate things. We can add things. Before, we just either typed and you marked it out, and, and that became a real burdensome thing. The technology, as you've said, Dr. Perlmutter, is, is making us better. We have more capabilities, and there are a lot of people out there who, who are nobodies you know, in, their, in their little corner of their little house someplace who are producing fantastic video, fantastic songs and audio. They're at their homes creating you know, multi-track uh, 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 music beds, and they're able to do that. So you're absolutely right. So take this technology and make it the most you can and compete with it. If you're that good, it'll come to the surface. Well, thank you, Dave Walker, for uh, inspiring industry and inspiring our students, and uh, keep on rocking. Thank you. Somebody. 